Welcome to Succession Stories. I'm Lori Barkman. As an exit value planning and M&A advisor, I call myself the business transition Sherpa. This podcast guides entrepreneurs from transition to transaction, from building value in your business to letting go. What do I do when I'm not hosting a podcast? I work with owners to maximize business value with my firm, small.big. And as a certified mergers and acquisitions advisor with Stony Hill, I guide you through the complex process of selling your company. Tune into Succession Stories for weekly insights to reward your hard work and avoid succession regrets. Hit subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and sign up for our newsletter at successionstories.com. Here's to your success. When it comes to evaluating the risk profile of the business, buyers look at the potential pitfalls, starting with cash flow. Cliff Spolander, author of The Cash Flow Code, is the CEO of Business by Design, an exit planning advisory company in the UK. He has started, bought, and sold several companies across a range of sectors, including retail, education, health, and construction. Cliff helps business owners strike a balance between protecting cash flow and profit margins while growing their business. We talked about the importance of improving cash flow as a key step towards getting your business exit ready and creating the transferable value that every buyer is seeking. Enjoy this Succession Stories episode to help you improve cash flow and reduce risk in your business with Cliff Spolander. 100% of owners will leave their business one day, but few are prepared. Through this show and in my advisory practice, I've spoken with hundreds of people about the uncertainty they feel about big questions like, who will take over for me one day? And what should I be doing now to get ready? To guide you through these challenges, I've written a book called The Business Transition Handbook. It provides real life stories, exercises and tools to help you get ready and let go on your own terms without regrets. Get the book and sign up to receive exclusive content by visiting businesstransitionhandbook.com. That's businesstransitionhandbook.com. Is this the year to sell your company? Don't leave your exit to chance. Stony Hill Advisors works with entrepreneurs like you to get ready for what may be the biggest transaction of your life. Learn what your business is worth by visiting stonyhilladvisors.com slash podcast. Cliff Spolander, welcome to Succession Stories. I'm excited to be with you today. Thanks, Lori. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. You and I have been trying to get this on the calendar for a while. I think we met, oh my goodness, probably six months ago online in the How to Exit networking group that our mutual friend Ron Skelton hosts. And I thought, aha, we are kindred spirits because you're passionate about exit planning you talk with a lot of business owners about how to get ready. You talk about good business strategy. Those are all themes that we talk about here on this show. And I, of course, talk with my clients about. And ultimately, I think we share that same mission of how do we help business owners in this long trajectory of the journey that they're on, which is right to build their business and then and ultimately letting go. So again, welcome. Why don't we start with you? Why don't you tell me your story? Well, I grew up in South Africa. I then left school, I joined the South African Navy, studied electronic engineering, but always had been fascinated by business. I think I always wanted to have my own business at some point. And then I left South Africa, moved to the UK. That was the end of 2000. 
And that's when I really began my kind of journey into, into business. And over the years, I have started and bought uh, four companies. I franchised one and licensed another in five countries. I've had my successes. I've had my, my failures. I've made mistakes and I've, you know, made some, some, some good decisions as well. So I appreciate the, the journey of being in business is, is a tricky one. It's a, it's a difficult one. But it's also at the same time very rewarding. So that's why I'm so passionate about helping other people kind of not make the same mistakes or repeat the same mistakes I've made. That's why I wrote the two books I have. It's just to really help people understand the basics around finances, around cash flow, and then also how to strategically grow and also to exit their their companies. So through all of these trials and tribulations that I've been through, um, I want to share that with with fellow entrepreneurs that they can hopefully learn from from my mistakes and progress further and quicker than what I have. Yeah, absolutely. Well, tell us a little bit about your entrepreneurial experience you summarized. And it's very intriguing to say in one sentence, you know, built and sold four and franchise one. And that sounds like an easy check the box. And I know it is not an easy check the box. The companies that you built and sold, why don't we start there? I think initially I didn't intend to sell for me, it was, let me start this company. And I, at that time, I was in my early 20s. So I was very wet beyond the ears. My, my understanding of business was very limited. So I thought, let me start a business. I, in my head, was going to keep it, build it, scale it, and then put people in place and let them run the business and for my, on, on my behalf. So with everything, everything I did, every company that I took on, whether started or, or bought, I always thought, or looked at where I could get or how I get myself out of the day-to-day operations, whether that is through systems, operations, through bringing people in. I always look to kind of get myself out so that I can either, A, spend the time doing things I enjoy doing, which at the time was paragliding and, and doing stuff as you do in your, in your early 20s, but also looking further ahead once I have you know, children and things like that to spend time with my kids. If they want to go and have a, a school assembly or a sports day, I want to be able to go and, and enjoy and, and, and watch them do that. So I always look to use business as a, as a vehicle to get me to where I want to go. Only as time went on did I realize that certain businesses and certain sectors either are just pure lifestyle businesses whereby they will give you the lifestyle you want, but it will require and will impact you in some sort of way, be it stressful, stress or having you to work extra hours where you needed to, or some sort of issue with it. Other companies, you can easily scale, but then you've got scaling problems. And so I realized very quickly that you no, know, not all businesses are the same. There are different types of businesses, businesses, different types of sectors. And so I learned probably my first 10 years that I needed to look at and pick the right ones. I was in business with some family members that didn't go well. So I learned not to go into business with family and friends. I was also very trusting with people. I learned not to be trusting because you get unfortunately um, screwed over. So I've learned that, yes, put everything on paper, making sure both parties or all the parties understand the, the concepts of what's required of, of, of everyone. And to the one I franchise, yes, it took a long time to, to get the processes right. You, know, you had to do it yourself figure it out, make the mistakes, improve the systems, operations, test it out, make sure it works for someone else and replicate those results. And so it's just really about getting into the, the nitty gritty of, of everything. A demolition business I bought back in 2014, 
I knew nothing about demolition. I never set foot on a, on a building site in my life. So I haven't got a clue what some of the tools were, but I knew that if I learned quickly, I could figure things out. So for the first six months, I was on site watching the guys, working with my foreman, understanding how to do things. And I could very quickly figure out repetitive tasks that I could systemize. And so I went away from that. And for about two months, just literally working from my computer, creating those systems, those procedures, give it to, gave it to my foreman, gave it to my contract manager to redo, look at, improve, and that saved them time. So it made them more efficient, which means I could grow the team. So it's, it's a learning curve that I had to go through. And every business has that learning curve where you see what can you do to improve it. And then once you create the system, then obviously you need to test the system out to make sure it all works. So it's all these little bits and pieces that you kind of plug on as you go along and, you know, putting key thing is cash flow. And if you don't have cash flow, you don't have a business. So making sure you've got good credit control systems, making sure that your company is working as efficiently as possible before you start to grow the business. Because if you grow the business with weak foundations, it could cause the company to collapse. So all these little things I've kind of played around with and uh, dodged a few bullets and learned from my mistakes. Absolutely. And so the different types of companies, just curious, you mentioned one is demolition. What were the others? And did you buy them or did you build them? The one I started was retail and then that was franchised. The other was education. I bought into that and then sold that. The other was construction with the demolition business and the other was health. So we were able to create a a formula and software with a heart rate monitor to work out how risk adverse or how close you were to either having a heart attack or stroke based upon how stiff the arteries were. So we can then kind of give you a bit of a early warning system to say, hey, the arteries are slightly stiff or clogged. You need to start either go to your GP or your doctor and get things sorted out or change your lifestyle. So it's in the, the health and uh, medical side of things. So there's Interesting. those main sectors. And did they all sell to strategics? No, the, the one that I licensed to in five other countries, that was one of my mistakes, being too trusting with my business partner who did the dirty on me. So I had to, I had to pretty much close the business down and, and just learn from my mistakes there. So that one, that one of the fortune was a mistake, listen, learn, sold the education, sold the retail, which I franchised, sold the demolition, and I sold a web company. They sold to other individual entrepreneurs or did they sell to larger companies? To individuals, mainly. That's the widest scope. You can go for strategic, but also with strategic comes positive negatives. They typically have a a slightly bigger checkbook, but then they also will look at your business and tear it apart and some of your employees will go. Where a private investor or individual will tend to look after the business in a more holistic way, the same way you you and I would would look after it. So I, I went down that route. So you have experience in building and selling and franchising, as we've talked about. And one of the key aspects of what I see, you know, when there's a potential acquirer, one of the first things they want to know about is the financials. Mm-hmm. And they want to know about the cash flow of the business, especially for acquisition entrepreneurs. And I, and we can talk about these people who are more financial buyers than strategic, right? Let's, let's sort of characterize them a little bit. Maybe this is their first time buying a company. Maybe it isn't. And they might be seeking an SBA loan or they might have other sources of funding, either through financial backers or perhaps they're rolling over some money from a different transaction that they've done. So they're self-funding. 
what what other characteristics might we say for acquisition entrepreneurs from your experience? Yeah, financial is, is a big one. That's one of my biggest headaches, especially with, with the, the small, medium-sized kind of companies. They tend to only give you the P&L, profit and loss, and, and the balance sheet. And when it comes to cash flow, there's no cash flow forecast. Uh, there's no cash flow statement. So you don't really understand the cash flow cycles. So that's one of the, the one of my big biggest bugbears is we need to understand as as uh, buyers, we want to see cash flow cycles. We want to see debted days, creditor days, stock days. We want to see where in the year is is your cash flow the lowest, where it's the highest, because that will also determine when we acquire the company or how much cap, working capital we need in order to get through the, the downside. So having that visibility is very, very important. The next is also having a risk profile, understanding where the risks are within the business. And so I use some software that kind of gives you a, a very good overview of the business, uh, gives it to you in, in a traffic light system where it's red, amber, or green. And you as the owner need to work through those areas to make sure that things are at least amber, but mostly green. And you can back it up by having documentation, policies, systems, and procedures in place to do that. So having as a, as a, kind of a combination of having good cash flow, good forecasting, and also, when you have a, a forecast, how close is your performance against that forecast? Because one thing saying that, yeah, my company grows 20% year on year, but in, in real terms, actually it grows 5% year on year. So how, how closely aligned is your forecast versus your performance? But then risk, you know, where, where are the risk profiles in your business? Is it down to HR? Is it health and safety? Is it, about, is it employee risk, supplier risk, customer risk? Where does the risk lie? What are you doing about that risk that will reduce it, which basically will, will ultimately make the, the company more uh, sellable uh, and more attractive. Who is your most important customer? The person who buys your business. Stony Hill Advisors works with owners to maximize the value when you're ready to sell. Get started today with a business valuation by visiting stonyhilladvisors.com slash podcast. There's a lot of things you just talked about there, but the main three things we can always boil it down to is how attractive is the business, how transferable is it, and essentially, you know, what are those aspects of risk and how do we mitigate those things? So let's talk about let's talk about cash flow. You've written a book on it. You've written it for business owners, right? The main audience is business owners. Tell me about what you learned along the way about this. You mentioned a few things here with forecasting, but I, I've met a lot of business owners in this small to medium-sized market and they don't have CFOs. They maybe have a bookkeeper in-house or they're or outsourcing. Maybe they've thought about a fractional CFO if they don't want to, you know, they don't want to have a, a full-time CFO in the team. And so what I see is that they have a pretty good use of a tool like a QuickBooks. In America, we use QuickBooks. I'm not sure if there's an equivalent in the UK. That's quite common. And an accounting firm has access to it, is managing on their behalf. And so if the bookkeeper is doing a good job at putting things in the right category, then the accounting firm is, is running a report or the business owner is pushing a button and getting a monthly P&L and maybe they're looking at their balance sheet, maybe. But I don't see that a lot of them are looking at a statement of cash flows. One of my clients recently said, I don't even know what that is, right? They're just not familiar. Let's just do kind of a 101 
of what does cash flow mean? What is working capital? Why is it important? And when a buyer is looking at the business, what does that context of why they care? You mentioned a few reasons already, but let's just take a deeper dive. That's, that's a good, good point. I think the reason why I wrote the book was um, in one of the companies that I had, uh, we were profitable uh, and we were doing our quarterly accounts, but the cash flow was always a problem for us. Uh, it never seemed to work. Uh, I was always fighting, keep ahead of my water. Um, we always, you know, we're in the in the red, then the black, red, the black, and it's that roller coaster cycle that you tend to have with with cash flow. So I said to my accountant, "So look, I don't quite understand it. We, we're, we're profitable, but why am I always struggling for cash?" And he said to me, "Well, it's quite simple. Just grow the business. You know, the more sales you make, the more profit you make, the more cash flow you have." And at the time, it, that made complete sense. So that's what I did. I grew the company by 20%. Uh, and you find that I was in a worse position than I was before. Uh, I had less cash and then I had to pay suppliers. I had to pay my employees. I didn't have any money. And that that was a turning point for me. Um, either I, At that point, I decided to either, I needed to pack it in and just get a job somewhere else, or I needed to really understand how cash flow works. What is cash flow? Now, what does it mean? Because it's not profit. Uh, and how does it work? How does, it, how does the whole thing function? And so um, the book that I wrote is really to help owners understand exactly what cash flow is, how it fits into the business, and, and what it looks like. And along with that, I've created a cash flow simulator. So that will tell you what your cash position will be like in 12 months' time based upon your current set of accounts. So if you were to grow your business, that will show you if you do grow your business, are you still solvent? Will you still have cash in the bank or won't you? And I found in that business, in that particular business, that actually I had a huge uh, credit, credit control problem. I thought my clients were paying me on 35-day terms. In actual fact, the data days were showing 60-plus days. Where I was paying suppliers on time, I had a massive cash gap. So when you grow the, grow the business, and of course, most of the business that I, that I grew was B2, B2C, um, or sorry, B2B, uh, they tend to drag out payments. So that created even a bigger cash gap, which means, which created the, the, the cash problem. So what I had to go back to at, to first principles was to look at what my, my credit control system looked like, beef that up, make sure that, you know, my data days were between 30 and 35 days, not 65 days, uh, and then grow the business. So within that, within the cash flow, I call them the six keys to, to cash flow. And there's an order in which you do things. And the first critical key is debtor days. Make sure your credit control system works. Make sure that you know what your debtor days are. If you think it's 30 days, are, are they really 30 days or are they, are they 45, 60, 90 days? Next is, is, um, is your credit, um, sorry, your, your accounts payable where you pay suppliers. You know, yeah, you, you can pay them early if you want to, but you know, pay them on time. And if you can negotiate terms, but you can pay them slightly later, or maybe use a credit card where you pay now, pay them now, but you only pay the credit card 45 days later, try and close that gap as much as possible. Uh, we also, because it's a retail business, we had stock and we had lots of dead stock sitting on our shelves, which meant we had lots of dead money sitting on the shelves. So we got rid of all of that. And then we looked at cost of sales. Could we negotiate with the suppliers to reduce um, the prices by either by buying in bulk or changing suppliers? And then we looked at expenses. You know, what where we where we where are we spending our money? Uh, and we looked at, you know, there were there were ways we were we were spending money that we didn't have to spend. So we found around around about three to five percent 
worth of savings just on that. And just doing that, those five keys, your debt to days, credit days, stock days, your cost of sales, and your expenses, just you can you can exponentially grow your cash flow and profit just by doing that. And then at the end, your sixth key is to grow the business. So, um, so those are the, the six keys to, to cash flow. Um, in terms of uh, due diligence, I think that is um, another big one. They, I think buyers want to see a credible knowledge of and uh, systems and processes and documentation within the business to make sure that everything is there, is correct uh, and up to date. You, want, you don't want to see leases that are about to expire in two years' time or any health and safety issues that crop up. So making sure your documentation is, is all there. So what was your other question? No, I think that's a great illustration. I've had other guests on the show where we've talked about the catch-22 of growth. I just wanted to double back on that point where your accountant said, oh, just grow, it'll make it easier. And I, and I had a feeling that, that you're going to tell me the story you did. Because if you didn't, I was going to really probe on it. Like, oh my God, that usually doesn't work out very well. <laughs> it didn't work for you. Yeah, just uh, grow more. And it's too bad that you had to learn by trial by fire. But it's good that your business did stay solvent. I do find that people who run small businesses, owners do, do not do forecasting. And I'm not sure what the root issue is, why they don't. I end up working with my clients to do it with them. You know, I'll kind of take a first pass and I'll say, how does this look? I'm not doing anything magic. I'm looking at their historical. I'll look at last year, same time periods. I'll look at quarter to quarter, month by month variations. So we'll look at year over year. We'll look at how they've been trending. Okay, we make educated guesses. So if I can do it and I don't know their business as well, why aren't they doing it? I think the honest answer is A, they don't know how to, uh, and B, they are too scared to. Um, even on a personal level, I, I have a personal cash flow budget. So I know how much money I spend on food every month, on clothes and things like that. So I can look at, as my kids are growing and getting older, they're eating more. So I know my food bill is increasing, my clothes are, uh, my clothes bill is increasing, the activities are, are increasing. So I can, I can forecast and budget uh, for next year. And speaking with friends, and I said, do, do you have a personal budget? They go, no, no, I, I don't touch that because you know, I don't want to know. And when the money's at, at the bank at zero, then I stop spending until money comes back in again. And I think with owners, I think for some reason, they either spreadsheets or um, financial reporting seems to, be, seems to scare them a bit. Um, but also, I think it also shows them that it's it's making them realize where they are and what they need to take action on. It's, I think it's much easier to kind of bury your head in the sand and ignore it and hopefully the problem will go away. Whereas I think looking at the cash flow, you realize where your money's going. And sometimes it's quite scary because you think, actually, if I continue down this road, I'm going to be some in, in, in serious trouble. And some people don't actually want to know about that until it's too late. Right. Um, and the alternatives are borrow. You've got to borrow money from the bank, maybe get a line of credit. That's you know one way to solve the gap. The other thing that you shared were other thing you know diagnostics of okay let's look at here we say average days out, uh, sales outstanding so the terminology might be a little different if people are familiar with some of the accounting and just calling that out yes. for our folks but otherwise it's basically money in money out and what is the timing of that and that's critical you know we do it with our own bank accounts you can't be overdrawn same in in your business. I lead an executive workshop. I've done it with hundreds of business owners across the states over the last year plus. 
And one of the exercises I have them do is a brainstorm on, okay, let's talk about money in. What can we do differently to bring money into the business sooner? And that's the basically one of the first things you said, right? Let's just sort of shore that up. And I've brainstormed, gosh, I mean, we had a couple of flip charts worth of ideas, all different kinds of companies. And there's no one answer, right? The answer sort of lies within the particulars of your business. You've worked in construction, you had education, you had retail. Now, obviously, if you own the inventory, that's a whole other thing. And I can relate to that. We used to say we have, you know, bananas, not fine wine, right? We've got to keep it moving. And let's just kind of go back to that a little bit. Maybe we'll just do a little virtual exercise here. So if people are listening and they're thinking about this, step one is just take a fresh look at your policy. What are the payment terms or what is the ask that you're making of your clients? So let's say it's a services business. I have an example here too. I can just share at a high level. A client is roughly a million dollars in revenue top line. So it's a small business. They have a small team. Projects, you know, not an ongoing retainer, but project business. So what their policy was when they would invoice is they would invoice and it would be kind of in stages when services were rendered. And then I think the client had 60 days. So they would not be paid for what they've delivered for, it could be, you know, four months or longer. So the very simple question I asked was, well, what are your policies? When's the last time you looked at it? And is anything changeable? And he said, wow, that's a great idea. And he looked at it and he goes, yeah, you know, there's no reason we can't ask for some money up front. And maybe we should start to think about the business model and what can we do to have more monthly income coming in as opposed to what they were experiencing was a little more quarterly. And that was step one. He said, oh, well, for any new client, we're going to put in some new terms. And now for my existing clients, I'm going to do it gradually and I'm going to grandfather and I'm going to be careful about it because... I don't want to, you know, shock the system too much. I've got to work with these existing. I thought that was a great illustration. I do share that because it's just so simple, right? It's something you can control. What is another thing that you would might say that you just, you know, helps open people's eyes to? I had that same issue with the construction business, uh, the, the, the demolition. I think the average debtor days in that sector was 72 and mine was 28. And it's just, a, it's just a simple reframe. You say, look, you know, I, we, I, if it's a big project, we do it in stages. So we hit certain, certain milestones or if we hit certain, you know, after a month, we'll invoice you. Um, and our terms were 14 days. But we knew you could be chasing. So within that, we had, we, we made sure they were happy with the amount we were invoicing. We then invoiced. We then followed up with a phone call saying, did you receive the invoice? Yes, we did. And another phone call five days before. Is the invoice on your system or are we due to get paid in five days? On the day the invoice meant to be get paid, we phoned them again. If, and then if it was late, we kept phoning and phoning and phoning. So they were always front of mind. But it's, a, it's a, also, also a bit of a reframe for new customers. We're saying that if, we, if you want us to do the best work possible for you, you know, we need, we, we've got to pay our people. We've got to pay our suppliers and things like that. So for us to do the best work for you, all I ask is that you pay us on time. Because you know, that's, that's at least what you would expect from someone from your customers. And you just have that, that really frank and open conversation. And I think people understand that they, they too are, are customers and they too have suppliers and they have the same issue as you. And I think it's only fair that if you, know, if you if the, I, I, my client, expects to 
uh, get paid on time, then they should you know, also pay me on time. So it's about having that, that open conversation and, and a slight reframe. And so that's why I've got our, our average debt today down from 72, which is the industry standard, to 28. Just by having that upfront payment, stage payments, milestone payments, constantly chasing, but also saying, if you want us to help you, uh, then help us just by paying us on time. And sometimes we offer a bit of a discount. Maybe we, we hike the price up a little bit and say, look, if you pay early, we'll give you 5% discount. So again, it's not real discounting, but it's, for them, it seems a discount. So we use that as a, as a tactic as well. Um, and we read terms up front and make sure that happens. But also, we're also very careful of who we work with as well. So if you know people are going to, and we had a few occasions where one company did go uh, did go bust, but we've just, just managed to get the money out of them just before it went bust. We don't work with those kind of companies. So we do do a bit of a credit check behind the scenes to make sure that they are legit and liable and they do pay on time. Um, but yeah, it's, it's checking the, the, the client's history on, on a credit report. I don't know what you have in the States, but we can check the, the credit status of, of, of the client. Uh, but it's also having an open conversation with them and just reframing it uh, and just being open on. So this is what we're going to do. This, these are our policies. This is how we work. And if they don't like it, then unfortunately, we can't help you and just be yeah. very strong and, and strict about that. Well, the other thing that you mentioned, which is something, again, a business can control, is having a person or team accountable for accounts receivable. And even in big companies, it's amazing how that just can get missed. So in small companies, an owner who's busy and has a lot of things going on, he or she isn't going to necessarily want to be chasing the dollars. Did you do that yourself or did you have a team do it? Did you outsource it? A uh, bit of both. They, I had my contracts manager do most of the chasing. Uh, but as, uh, as just before I left the business in uh, mid-2019, some really neat software was coming on the market, which kind of did all the chasing work for you. So basically, you put in the, the set emails and the set times of when they should be going out. I think you do it in zero as well. We can automate it. But basically, you can, you can set the software to do the checking for you and the chasing for you. So it ended up being him doing most of it and then merging it into the, the software, doing most of the heavy lifting. And if they were really, you know, weren't paying on time, he would then make the phone call. But the software did the, did the big lifting. And nowadays, you can get some really great pieces of software that does it all for you. And you can even get companies out there to do it on your behalf. And they charge a small fee. So even you know, if you can't afford to employ someone and you're too busy, get these companies out there to to do it for you on a, for a small fee. So it's it, there's there's so many options out there now. It's crazy. Yeah. So the flip side of this, we talked about getting money in sooner. The flip side is money out later. And one of the things is then what we can call vendor financing, which is asking your vendors for for terms. Right? Why can't you ask for 60 days, 90 days. We had that experience. I was in a big company, so it meant millions of dollars to us when we got, when our partner agreed to terms. And it was, again, just one of those no-brainers. Like, why hadn't we asked previously? It just took a simple question. Yeah, again, I, I always encourage my clients to to speak with their suppliers every six months or at least once a year, but also have the information in front saying, look, I, I have spent X thousands of dollars with you. Um, you know, I may be a small, small, you know, company in, in your eyes, but I still spend 10, 20, 30, whatever thousand dollars with you. Um, you know, can we agree terms? Either get me a slight discount on on what I'm buying, um, or increase my payment terms. 
you know, from 30 days to 45 days to 60 days and have those conversations. And more than likely, they, if, they, if, you, if you've been paying them on time regularly and they, and they, and they know and trust you, then that's a, you know, they, they tend to want to help you as well. So having that conversation is quite easy. Uh, another way of doing it is get, get, I don't know how it works in, in the States, but here in the UK, you can get a business credit card where if I buy something on, say, the 1st of December, on the credit card that only comes out of the card out of my bank account the end of end of jan so i've got, almost got two months worth of of space there as well so you can even stretch it further by using credit cards uh, and paying the supplier on time effectively but then you only realizing that cash out two months later so you can stage it as well you can even stretch it out even further so there are many ways of doing it yeah absolutely we shared so much with us. I know people want to know how to find you and learn more from you, and you've got a lot of resources available. So, Cliff, how do people reach out and discover more? Um, I've got three main websites. Two of them are tool websites, and then one's my main website. The main said web website is businessbydesign.co.uk. And then I've got two tools that people are more welcome to use and to, to play with. Uh, the first one is the saleabilitytest.com and the second is the smarterscaleup.com and they have various tools on there free of charge to use um, business valuation business saleability are you exit ready your cash flow simulator all the tools are there for you to, to use free of charge awesome so i know you've probably got a million quotes and you've written a couple of books so you've probably got a few quips of your own. Is there any, is there any quote that really inspires you, inspires you as an entrepreneur, inspires others? I think it's the same here. Um, exit planning is simply good business strategy. It's an exit planning. People think of, of them selling or, or exiting the business, but actually exit planning is just a way of growing a business that allows you and gives you choices for the future. That's all exit planning is. So my favorite quote is, is that quote is, is that exit planning is simply good business strategy and good business strategy is simply how you scale the business uh, to, to give you the freedom, to give the choices that you want. Yeah, well, absolutely. I love that quote and I, I couldn't agree more. As we put a bow on this conversation and, and we want to leave people with three things that they might think about for their business and it could be cash flow related as we've been talking about, or it could be anything. What would be those three things? I think the number one is cash flow. I think it's look at your, your six keys, look at your debt to days, your money in, money out and how much money is on, on your shelves doing nothing can you get rid of that very very quickly look at your cost of sales your, your expenses then look at growing your business so that's cash flow um then on the on selling on, on exiting you know prepare for that we don't know what the future holds so always look to get yourself out of the day-to-day -day running the business as much as possible either by using software systems processes or get people in, in there as well and thirdly um Prepare for the due diligence phase. Get your get your risk analysis done. Look at your look at your leases. Uh, get your health and safety up and running. Get your HR, your human resources, uh, correct, and and all that kind of stuff. Look at the risk profile of your company. Um, and looking at those three things, I think you will you know. Even though business is a is a bumpy has a bumpy ride at times, I think looking at those three: cash flow, due diligence, your risk profile, and um, the 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 dd the preparation i think that is uh will, will really help help a lot of people cliff thank you so much for coming on succession stories i know we could talk for hours we have so much to probe in your background and also all the knowledge that you've gained in 
and coaching entrepreneurs and, and helping them be successful. So thanks so much for coming on today. Thanks for having me. And to our listeners, thank you so much for your support. Catch Succession Stories in your favorite podcast players on YouTube and be sure to subscribe to the show. If you want to maximize the value of your business and plan for future transition, reach out to me for a complimentary business assessment at meetlauriebarkman.com. Join me next time for more insights from transition to transaction. Until then, here's to your success. My objective is for you to have a lucrative and successful succession. If you want to understand the value of your company today, that's a great place to start. The sooner you understand what creates value and what detracts from it, the more time you'll have to close the gap if there is one. Hundreds of business owners have taken my complimentary business assessment. As a first step, schedule a call with me by visiting meetlauriebarkman.com. That's meetlauriebarkman.com. Dot com.